0: This is the Best of the Adam Gold Show podcast brought to you by Coach Pete at Capital Financial Advisory Group. Visit us at CapitalFinancialUSA.com. All right, I want to talk about uh, if you were a kid growing up in the 1970s and you watched the NFL, you invariably watched the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, as a kid growing up in the New York area, we watched the Giants, we watched the Jets, but the Steelers were on A lot. And it was hard not to at least respect the Steelers. And one of the things that the Steelers did was master the NFL draft. And Franco Harris, who was a first-round pick in the 1972 draft, one of several, and I say several, I shouldn't even, that number's too low, uh, about a dozen Hall of Famers that were drafted in like a five- or six-year span. Uh, Franco Harris passed away yesterday and uh it is just it is a sad day and we're talking with Jim Wexel right now who wrote a book on the clock behind the scenes with the Pittsburgh Steelers at the NFL draft so sir I appreciate your time I know it's a hard day for a lot of people who grew up loving and following the Steelers because Harris was such a gentleman and such a great player and ambassador uh for the game and for the Steelers uh quickly before we talk about that uh, the draft and all of that. Uh, your thoughts on Harris and his place in not only Steelers lore, but the NFL.
1: Um, well, I'll just uh, start by saying this, is my second phone interview and the first one with a local station. I did, didn't intend to be the therapist, but it <laughs> turned out that some of the stories I told, you know, cause I went back and used excerpts from my book on Franco in today's column. For steel city insider i uh um i i and i've been up since you know early writing and, and coming to grips with all this that i seem to be a couple hours ahead of everybody here in pittsburgh <laughs> and so I, I acted as therapist with these stories that began to amuse and i that's when i first realized the how rocked the the good folk here are by what happened uh the the timing You know, three days before the 50th anniversary of his signature moment. How he was thrust with fate. How he turned the fortunes around like a a lightning bolt. Um, There was a first win in playoff history. And uh, then they won four Super Bowls. (laughs) And then he left, as Joe Green said, about a month ago. Um, We didn't do much before Franco. We didn't do much after. But when Franco was here, we did a whole lot. And that's Joe Green talking, who is generally considered the guy that turned it around. (laughs) Yeah. But his first year, they were one in 14 or whatever, one in 13. Yeah. Um, Franco really turned it around. And uh, my understanding is he was going to get his number retired Friday at a ceremony that I was having uh, a a lunch with. I was inviting my daughter, hoping that she could meet Franco. Franco's been around as an ambassador here for a long time. It's, you, you see Franco all the time. You don't really – you take it for granted. Yep. And so my daughter, who had been away to college and did not know anything about Franco, I, I was looking forward to her meeting him. And he's just been that ambassador, as Mike Tomlin said yesterday, in, in what is serving as a great eulogy before Franco passed. It, in Mike's uh weekly press conference, he was asked – about the significance of Franco and the Immaculate Reception, because the 50th anniversary is Friday. And uh, Tomlin Tomlin said something in the middle of all of his great stuff about um, uh, uh, the significance how it was the greatest play. And he said, uh, Franco's a guy that embraces all the responsibility of being him. Mm -hmm. I I thought that was so spot on, because that's what Franco did as an ambassador easily handled what fate had thrust to him. You know, mere, mere mortals like you and I would have fate thrust upon us and say, oh, this is cool. I'll I'll deal with this for a year or two, but then yeah. you all got to go away. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, Fra- Franco was the ambassador, and he was he reveled in it. and He was great. You at said everything he did.
0: Jim Wexel is uh, joining us here. By the way, he's got a website, jimwexel.com. He's got bu- uh, books on the Steelers, on the clock, Paul Amalo, uh, and others. Uh, here's the thing about because you mentioned he handled it so easily. When I think about Franco Harris's career, and this may be this might be a mischaracterization, because I'm not trying to say that he wasn't a rugged, tough football player, because you have to be, especially if you played football in the seventies. He made the position look easy because Harris would just get his yards and then just kind of he never looked like he was, you know, in a rush. He'd just get his yards and then ease to the sideline and out of bounds, like, yep. I just gained seven on you, uh, second and three. Did did is that a mischaracterization of him? Because he made it look easy.
1: No, that is not a mischaracterization. That uh, I thought you were going to go somewhere else, but yes, uh, in the end, and after Jim Brown mocked him because he was closing on Jim Brown. Yeah, I can't remember if he passed him or not because Walter and Emmett have since. Zoom past them all. But uh, yes. anyway, uh, Jim Brown was a little resentful and m- remarked about Franco going out of bounds. And that became uh, a signature. But in the beginning, uh, you know, I don't know that that was as much a signature as making it look easy otherwise, because all the scouting reports, I noticed this as I was researching for my book, the top scouts would, the, 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 the great comment they would make about his assets were he cuts at full speed. And so that makes it all look easy. When Mm -hmm. you can cut at full speed, that's something subtle that you only notice if if you're a top-notch scout or a linebacker trying to tackle him. Uh, That cutting at full speed, we all see the guys gear down and juke or whatever they have to do to cut. Yeah. Uh, Boy, he, with all that power and grace, yes, he made it look easy. So what you said characterizes him exactly.
0: Yeah, by the way, he was about 200 or so yards short of Jim Brown, which uh, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sure nowadays Jim Brown probably thinks and looks back differently on Franco Harris. We all get, once all of that, all of the competitiveness is over, Uh, I think we all probably look back on things just a little bit differently. It's funny, there were two different eras of those Steelers, right? There was the, we're going to run the ball at you all day long, Rocky Blyer part of that as well. And then there was the Terry Bradshaw chucking it down the field to Lynn Swan and John Stallworth all day. Uh, Well, not all day, but everything was, it seemed like everything was a bomb. Uh, We called them bombs, not go-routes. Uh, back in the uh, back in the seventies, uh, but so it was two different types of teams. But Harris was maybe the most important part offensively on both of them. I, I know,
1: I know, and you know it's funny when you say and on bombs. I, I'm with you on bombs, and and we're going to continue to use that word sure, until fine. I'm dead. So uh, um, uh, uh, they changed the rules to stop Franco and the Steelers. And that just opened it up for Bradshaw and the bombs, right? You know, they 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 wanted to draft John Stallworth with the first pick of the great '74 draft, but Chuck Null was
0: talked out of it, and so they got Lynn Swan and John Stallworth when they already had Frank Lewis and Ron Shanklin. So they got Stallworth it, it, in the they wait wait a second they wanted to take Stallworth in the first round and they right. got him in the fourth round.
1: Yeah, and and this is fully detailed in my book. Uh, the great Bill Nunn went down to uh, Alabama A and M with a few other scouts were there to see Tennessee state, the home of big Ed too tall Jones. Gosh, yes. And the fourth pick of the draft was a, a, uh, a middle linebacker from Tennessee state whom was destroyed by Mike Webster in the senior bowl. And the Steelers <laughs> got Webster in the fifth round in the fourth pick of the draft. I forget his name. Nobody remembers his name. He washed out, but they were at the Alabama A&M and uh, Tennessee state game. And, uh, uh, none stayed after to ta- retime Stallworth and get a tape of that game, uh, make sure he got it, and took it home and didn't give it back for the rest of the league to see. It circulated around the Steelers' offices and became known as the Don Hudson tape. Oh, my God. They thought John Stallworth was that good. Chuck Noll couldn't stop watching it and wanted him in the first round. And they're like, don't worry, he runs a 4 6, and, and, but everyone else has him at 4 8. Okay. And, what? and and Lynn Swan has played bigger games, um, been on TV, yeah. runs a four five five. We can get away with waiting for Stallworth. And Noel said, "You better be right." And they got him in the fourth round.
0: Uh, look, um, first of all, would would love people to go get your book on the clock. Um, but if you want to see the Steelers draft history, go to ProFootballReference dot com and just look up Steelers draft history from nineteen sixty nine when they took Mean Joe Green uh, in the first round through nineteen seventy four when they drafted Hall of Famers in the first, second, fourth, and fifth rounds. <laughs> they drafted nine Hall of Famers in a six year span, and a bunch. If you knew football back then, a bunch of other players who were instrumental. In those four Super Bowl wins in six years, LC Greenwood was a 10th round pick, which that in and of itself is mind blowing. I will never forget the yellow shoes. Uh, final thing before we uh, before we let you go, Jim, um, just when when you think Harris as a person, what are you thinking? Adam Golden Studio with my man, Coach Pete Taruda, Capital Financial Advisory Group. You have a 401k, but you're changing jobs. You're taking that 401k with you. Next step. Well, a lot of people leave it behind, which is not a good thing. I mean, if you're not at the company anymore, your 401k shouldn't either. And that's when it's time for my 401k
1: survival. Oh, oh look box at that! Set. You see it right here. I <laughs> got workbooks, guidebooks, DVDs in here that explain everything about your 401k. More importantly, how to build a lifetime income. It's a three hundred dollar value. I'm also going to give you a total retirement plan, which is a thousand dollar value for the next eighteen of you who call right now. No cost or obligation. Call. 888-843-0013 or text Adam to six hundred seven hundred.
0: Adam Gold is a paid spokesman. Investment advisory services offered by Capital Financial Advisory Group, a North Carolina registered investment advisor.
1: Oh, just a man that couldn't be, uh, couldn't have fear or or anger. Uh, you know, you talked about Jim Brown and and him, Jim Brown becoming resentful. We all know Jim Brown. We we know he he can be a surly guy, mm-hmm. but we love that competitiveness that he had. Yeah. What a warrior! Well, Franco was a warrior, but would never, ever have any resent of anybody approaching his records. And I, I just—that's one thing. And there are so many. The last, the only time I really talked to Franco personally, we had a mutual friend who was sick, and he said, "Oh, I'm going to call him," and he did call him because before I could tell the mutual friend to expect a call from Franco Harris, Franco had already called. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, that was the last meeting. That was in November. And, uh, you know, uh, I, there are, uh, you're going to have to talk to other people who are smarter and been there longer to better define Franco, but that's the little bit I can tell you. It's, what, what a fine gentleman.
0: On the Clock, written by Jim Wexel. I appreciate your time. So the reason I chose William Peace was because of their stellar game design program. It's very rare to find a game design program in the United States at all, let alone North Carolina